0: Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, 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 good morning, good morning, and a sweet, no intended. good morning to each and every one of you. Hope you had a great weekend. We welcome you to Off the Bench, presented by our friends at United Dairy Farmers. I'm Tom Brenneman, along with Casey McAllister, Paul Fritchner is back in the house after a big weekend down in Greensboro, North Carolina. Lots to talk about there in a minute. We come your way Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time. You can find us on YouTube, slash Chatterbox Sports. Flip the notification switch on if you would, please. If you like the show, then like the show. You also can find us streaming on Facebook. That's a Chatterbox Sports page as well. And if you prefer to join us in podcast form, just search Off the Bench with Tom Bredeman and you're dialed in. There's a reason they call it March Madness, right? You could hear the sound perhaps in your own living room, of brackets being shattered across the board going back to Friday night. Purdue, gone. Saturday, Kansas, gone. Duke, gone. Yesterday, number two seed Marquette, gone. The Sweet 16 is firmly in place. And let's start with the lone home team to get there. The Xavier Musketeers. X after a furious comeback on Friday and a little help from the officials, I might add. Survive against Kennesaw State. Anybody who watched the final five seconds of that game, two X players should have been arrested for mugging two players. But we'll we'll save that for later. But I give them all the credit in the world. They come back and then they throttle Pitt in a second round matchup 84-73. Jack Nungey at 18 points. Colby Jones a double-double goes 14 and 10. X advances to the Sweet 16 for the first time since 2017. In the game yesterday, six Musketeers score in double figures. Next up for Sean Miller's team. The first time it's a big test in this tournament for him. They take on number two seed Texas. And the tip-off for that game is Friday night. At 9.45, going to be a late night for the X fans on Friday night, but no big deal. The other half of the Midwest bracket has top seed Houston. Sasser's back, looked great over the weekend, will take on Miami. Jim Larinaga's team just demolished Indiana to advance to the Sweet 16. Down the road in Lexington, heartbreak city for Cal and the big blue. This might have been the best game for the weekend for just pure entertainment. In the East region yesterday, Kentucky and Kansas State get it on. K-State wins at 75-69 despite being out-rebounded 45-26. They're 5'8 senior. Is it Marquise or Marquise? Marquise. Lowell.
1: Noel. Yeah. Wow,
0: what a game. 5-8 pours in 27 points. Kentucky shot just 41% from the field. What a two-game tournament for Oscar Schwebe. Schwebe. Shebe. Shebe. This guy was unbelievable. He was the best player in the tournament over two games. He goes 25-18 and yesterday. He hauls in 25 rebounds against Providence Friday night. That's the most in an NCAA tournament game since 1977, but he and his Kentucky mates will watch the rest of the tournament. Kansas State will meet, surprise, Michigan State at Madison Square Garden. The number seven seed Spartans just beat up Marquette, 69-60. Michigan State was only two of 16 from three-point. Didn't matter. Their defense was stifling when it mattered most. Tom Izzo, I mean, this guy... He reaches his 15th regional semifinal and wins an all-time NCAA record. 16th game when his team is a lower seed. The other half of the East has four-seeded Tennessee against number nine seed Florida Atlantic. They won that Cinderella showdown 78-70 over Fairleigh Dickinson. Tennessee I know they lost their best player to an ACL injury, but that team manhandled Duke. 65-52. The Volunteers suffocating defense forces 15 turnovers. This was one team just simply being tougher than the other team. It was no contest. Duke looked soft. The Big East flexed its muscles in two other games yesterday. UConn. Wiped out St. Mary's, 70-55. Now we'll face Arkansas. Hard to believe Arkansas. Their third straight trip to the Sweet 16. They beat number one Kansas, 72-71. Another great game. Devo Davis, 25 points, eight rebounds. The Jayhawks had no answer for him. The other half of that bracket is a game we've been looking at for quite a while. UCLA and Gonzaga. The Bruins held off Northwestern. Northwestern's got a nice little team. 68 63, the final there. Tell you who else got a nice little team is Penn State. And then the Zags win in a shootout over TCU last night, 84 81. In the South region, Creighton jumped on Baylor right from the get go. That happened to a couple of Big 12 teams in this tournament, including Iowa State against Pitt. So Creighton advances. And will play surprising Princeton. Who saw this one coming? Princeton first knocks off Arizona, then just wallop Missouri. No contest. Seventy-eight, sixty-three. The winner faces either top seed Alabama or fifth-seeded San Diego State. In other news, and Paul has a theory about this. Coming up in a minute. Allegedly, Rick Patino is in serious discussions about becoming the next head coach at St. John's. Now, like him or not, whatever job Patino takes, you better look out if you're in that conference, and in this case, the Big East. There is no doubt about it. He is one of the five greatest coaches of all time in basketball. NFL news. The Bengals made it official. It wasn't official Friday when we were on the air. But they signed safety Nick Scott to a three-year deal. Former Minnesota Vikings star receiver Adam Thielen gets three years with Carolina. The Dallas Cowboys acquired Texans wide receiver Brandon Cooks in a trade. That'll cost him a fifth-round pick this year, sixth-rounder next year. The move likely means, not a done deal, but likely means the Cowboys' pursuit of Odell Beckham Jr. is now over. The Detroit Lions and free agent safety C.J. Gardner-Johnson agree on a one-year, $8 million contract. His former team, the Eagles, offered him a long-term deal. He thought the market would bring more money. Didn't happen. One year. Maybe the money comes next year. In baseball, a thriller in the quarterfinal for Team USA. That was Friday night when Trey Turner clubbed a grand slam in the last of the eighth inning. In a 9-7 win. Then last night in the semis against Cuba, as he's done in virtually every big game in his career, Cardinal Adam Wainwright delivered the goods. Four runs of one-run baseball. He had already given up a run in the first inning. Had the bases loaded, nobody out on three infield hits. He got out of the jam. Turner would add two more home runs in the 14-2 drilling of Cuba. Very few things are more gratifying than drilling somebody like Cuba. Soviet Union, China, Iran, they don't play in this deal. It'd be better to drub them. Cuba's right on that list. Team USA plays the winner of tonight's game between Mexico and Japan. What what the hell is so funny about this? I (laughs) I just listed all the evil access of the world, and you guys are laughing about that?
1: No, no. Cuba's on
0: that list. The people are not. The government is.
1: We got another great one here. Here you go.
0: Yeah, here's the big one. Here's the big one. Oh, yeah. I mean, Casey came in. Forget the tournament, forget the WBC, forget the Bengals, forget all of it. He wanted to talk about soccer. Yes, I did. FC Cincinnati scores a pair of goals in the final six minutes to finish in a 3-3 draw, they call it in soccer, against the Chicago Fire. Nashville comes to TQL Stadium this Saturday night. FC has the third most points in the MLS so far this year. So so we can get it out of the way. Yeah. I mean, Please don't tell me I was just looking at video of this. Yes. There
1: yeah, you are. Absolutely. Throw up there, Casey. Why not? Let's leave this, the show with FC. Oh this, come on. Let's God. do it. This is why. Oh, my
0: God. Here we go. Here we go. Moment. Go ahead. I, just want,
2: I want our fans to watch this and appreciate Luisa Costa.
0: Acosta,
2: what a beautiful, just that is a beautiful pass.
0: That is a beautiful pass. My lord,
2: that That is a beautiful pass. And I mean, I tell you what, Tom, he he had just subbed in, like maybe not even a minute or two into this game, and he kicks that beauty to Santos. Oh just breathe new life into the team. They go and score again, tie the game, it ends up being a draw, but most FC fans were wondering, you know, if he was able to do that. I mean, why wasn't he starting the whole game? I get that you're hurt, but, I mean, we're a complete, completely different team when he's in the lineup, and it's very clear to see. This team is uh, built for adversity when we're all healthy. And uh, I'm excited for this team. I really am. After that game last night, you know, you thought maybe that this is still kind of the same old FC from last year that just wasn't ready to get over the hump. I really, truly do believe this year that they might have what it takes to get over the hump. I mean, coming back from – a three-one deficit to at least tie it, and they had their chances to possibly even win the game. I mean,
1: plus fourteen hundred to win the cup.
2: Yeah, plus fourteen hundred to win the cup. I I like those odds a lot, Tom. And that's my that's explain all I gotta, really quick as yeah. we
0: tie a ribbon, thankfully, around this conversation. Yes. In gambling terms, plus fourteen hundred means what? It's fourteen to one. That means you put a dollar down, you'd win fourteen. Or if you put a hundo down, you win 1,400. 1,400. Wow. Okay. All right. Uh, boy, I tell you, uh, some in the chat have come out swinging, especially Brian B. Uh-oh. He rips into the Big Ten most overrated conference in basketball and football. Then he goes on to say that UK will never be great as long as Cal is there.
1: <laughs> I mean...
0: I mean that's coming out ripping and roaring. In college football, they had the Big Ten had two teams in the college football playoff. Now, granted, they both lost, but Ohio State was right there with Georgia. Michigan is Michigan. I mean, whatever they get there, they choke it off. They got beat by TCU. Basketball, I couldn't agree with you more on that basketball. Um, it seems like Michigan State is the only team on a regular basis. Wisconsin had a little run in it there for a while but it seems like Michigan State is the only team that carries the torch Paul for the Big Ten when it all matters
1: yeah I mean the the Big Ten again only one team into the Sweet 16 and we had talked about that so much is this going to be another situation where the Big Ten gets eight nine ten teams however many it might be into the tournament and then they only get a run out of one or two of them and That's exactly what happened. It was funny last night driving home from Greensboro. I was listening to the Miami and Indiana game. I was listening to it on uh, on Westwood One, and they they were talking, well, if if Indiana wins, then they get a second Big Ten team into the tournament. And if Indiana wins, that means Miami doesn't get in. And that's the first time since 1979 that an ACC team doesn't make the Sweet 16. And I'm sitting there going, man – we're arguing about a second Big Ten team or one ACC team. Yeah. I mean, we we talked all year about how down the ACC was, but it's always kind of hard in such a big sport like college basketball where you have 360-plus teams. When you get into this ecosystem of the same conference and then they branch out and they play other teams in March Madness, sometimes they have more success. Sometimes they have – sometimes you look back on the season, you know, like a retrospective, and you say, well, actually, that conference was a whole lot better than they thought they were. It just they panned out better once they started playing other teams. That was not the way in the ACC. The ACC stunk all year. We knew they stunk all year. And then they ended up stinking in the tournament as well. So, I mean, they, are, they did get Miami in. Miami played a good game. And there were injury questions about Miami that they overcame. Um, and, uh, it, yeah, Michigan State, they took it to Marquette. I mean, this is the first time since realignment that the Big East has had three teams in the Sweet 16. It was a banner weekend for the Big East, tied for the most teams of any conference in the Sweet 16. They had a really, really good weekend. And I was doing a show on Friday night after the Xavier game, and I had somebody call in and ask, do, how many Big East teams do you think make the Sweet 16? And I said, I really wouldn't be shocked if there were three. And I I thought Creighton was going to be the odd one out just because I thought, Baylor matched up decently with Creighton to the point where Creighton's played a little inconsistently over the last few weeks to where I wasn't really sure what I was going to get out of Creighton. and They came out and took it straight to Baylor. I mean, the entire time, that was a wire-to-wire game for Creighton. So then to now look at Michigan State and what they did to Marquette, I mean, to have three Big East teams in the Sweet 16 and for one of them to not be – the conference champion of the regular season and the tournament. Yep. It's, it's a, a wild scene, but credits of Michigan State and what they were able to do. Marquette made their runs, but they got into foul trouble early and never really dug themselves out of it. Well, both teams were
0: really in foul trouble that game. Yeah. I mean, you know, both teams were uh, – and, you know, they, it just goes to show – and look, I, I, again, I never sit here and beat up on college kids. I'm not going to do it um, – you just wonder how much the Colick kid, he did not play well in either game no. at all. I mean, he was a Big East Conference player of the year. Um, he just did not play well. And, and sometimes that's going to happen to these young men uh, or young women uh, in the women's tournament. And, and it's a shame when that happens because a kid had a phenomenal year. Uh, Marquette gone, but as you mentioned, the other three are right there. And in Creighton's case, not so much with Xavier um, or with UConn, but in Creighton's case, because of all the upsets, now all of a sudden, it's not to say they can't lose in the Sweet 16, but now all of a sudden, you know that bracket's a little weird where you could see them getting to the Elite Eight.
1: I mean, all they got to do is beat Princeton.
0: Yeah, I mean, all they got to do and is Princeton's
1: beat... been great. Yeah,
0: they've been great.
1: Yeah, and and Princeton has scored well enough this year. Um, I feel like every time I would turn on an Ivy League game or you're looking at an Ivy League score, you're seeing that. Princeton has put up. Then, then there were also games where Princeton would have some clunkers and wouldn't score at all. So um, I think that this is going to be a pretty a pretty interesting weekend as far as that goes. Because if you look, you know, the, it, you have of the the Sweet 16, 15 of the 16 teams are in the top 32 on Ken Palm, and then the outlier there is Princeton, who's at 91. So even though Princeton is a 15 seed, they are a top 100 team. Um, they're not. The other team, I mean, they, they are not a, they are not a you know, top 25, top 50 team, but they are a top 100 team. It's not like you have some team that right. you know, like a, like a Fairleigh Dickinson right. who's in the 200s. Right. It's not like you have one of those. Um, but, I mean, this Sweet 16, and, and I talked about this the other day. I don't know if it was on this show or one of the other shows, but a lot of people, you know, March Madness, one of the things that makes March Madness so exciting is all the upsets. And everybody loves the upsets, and it's great. It's great for the sport. It's a lot of fun. It's why this tournament is the best event in in sports in general over a three-week stretch. But when you have these upsets like a Princeton or like a FDU or, you know, like a Furman or one of those, the the longer those teams stay in, sometimes once you get to the second weekend, once teams have five days to prepare. Now, St. Peter's is the outlier to that because last year they actually won in the Sweet 16 to get to the Elite Eight. But a lot of times, you know, you'll have a team like Princeton or like an FDU if they had won, and they get to the second weekend, you know, in the Sweet 16 game, like Florida Gulf Coast back in 2013, and they get blown out. So now you have the cream of the crop. I mean, you have the top seven teams on Ken Palm and 15 of the top 32 are in the Sweet 16. It shapes up for a really, really fun weekend.
0: Well, it's interesting. Darren Ravel, the highly acclaimed uh, sports business writer, he had an interesting – tweet yesterday and i mean this is true you're you're talking about upsets and you know everybody roots for the upsets until all of a sudden you get to some of these games in the sweet 16 you're going oh man not what i wanted to see yeah and he pointed out he says madison square garden this coming week could have had purdue duke kentucky and michigan state could have had or marquette but he says michigan state he says you end up with michigan state tennessee kansas state and Florida Atlantic. So, again, it's not, it's not to take anything away from, um, from any of those guys. Kansas State, what a job Jerome Tang has done. Longtime oh. assistant coach at Baylor under Drew. Yeah. And Ravel points out that John Calipari makes $8.5 million a year at Kentucky. Jerome Tang is being paid $2 million a year at Kansas State. I don't know if that's a shot at Cal. Cal! You know, a lot of people are beaten up. If anybody watched that game, and I think that, I think that Charles Barkley hit the nail on the head talking, it because that was a great game to watch. Okay, I don't care if you got no rooting interest at all in either team, which I really don't. I joke around a lot about Cal and Kentucky, but I, I really could care less. But that was a great game to watch. Teams turned it over a little bit too much in the first half, a little sloppy. But, You know, Charles Barkley made the comment. He said, look, Kentucky played a good game. They played a good game. But Kansas State played a better game. And they won the game. And I'll tell you what I'm done with. I'm done with this talk from now on, for me, and not for anybody else. But for me, I'm done from now on talking about conferences and all this kind of thing when it comes to basketball. Because... The Big 12, when you look at this season, undisputed best conference in America. There are a couple of these teams when they got in the tournament, they did not look like a top 50 team to me when they played. Seriously. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, Texas, okay, that's fine. They're moving on. Kansas, this was a game, this was a team, it's a number one seed that lost to TCU at home by almost 30. They got their tails kicked in some games. Not just beat. They got annihilated by some teams this year. You say, okay, well, they're good teams in the Big 12. Iowa State looked terrible. 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 Looked like they had no clue. Same thing for Baylor. Now, I know they're not the Baylor that won it all two years ago. They looked awful. I mean, I you know I don't want to hear it anymore uh, about this stuff about oh what conference are they uh, all this kind of stuff. I mean, come on, come on, and a Big Ten too, same thing, same thing. SEC gets overlooked all the time, and I tell you this muscleman guy, I mean he takes off the shirt. I guess he did it a number of years ago, right when he was yeah. at Nevada, but uh, and, and that got a lot of the headlines. But it cannot be denied. This guy's a big time coach. Sweet 16, three years in a row at Arkansas. I don't think a lot of people knew that.
1: No, and I don't think people realize if you're not really like intimately involved with it. I don't think people realize how much they care about basketball in Arkansas. Yep. People. I don't want to say. I, I know it's a. I know it's an SEC school. So I'm not going to fully go to say that it's a basketball school. But they love basketball at Arkansas, and this means a lot to them and their community. This is not an SEC program that is just passing time in the football offseason to get to football, you know. which I guess you could even maybe sometimes argue it would be like an Alabama, although look at what Nate Oates has done there this year to, to get Alabama to the top of the mountain um, to be the number one overall seed. But Musselman has done a fantastic job at Arkansas. He's completely changed everything around. And the other thing, too, um, is that if I remember right from yesterday, Arkansas didn't even have their whole team. Right. Um, they had a couple of guys out. A couple of guys
0: out. One of their best players has been out a while.
1: Yeah. That that game was Saturday. Um, but, uh, you know, they get Nick Smith back, and he's going to be a lottery pick. They have a couple lottery picks on that team. Yeah. Um, and that's what I was saying on the rebound rundown on Friday. It's like, hey, look, if you're going to give me a team with a couple of lottery picks, I'll roll with them. And it's what I always say, who has the best player on the floor. And Kansas, for some reason, I, I, I did not get a chance to watch this game start to finish, so I don't want to go on too much about it um, just without watching everything yet before I go back and kind of take a look at it. But, yeah, it was, a, it, it was a statement for the SEC, too, this weekend where you look at – like an Arkansas team beating Kansas, but again Tennessee, um, Tennessee getting it done, and I thought we were bound and determined to have another Kentucky-Tennessee game, and then Kentucky, yep. Kentucky, Kentucky was in control of that game. Yes, they were. Kentucky was in control of that game. I left at halftime. I had to get home. I had, I, I could tell the way the game was trending. It was, it was close, and I was like, man, if this goes to overtime, I was already gonna get it around midnight. I left around halftime of that game, and the crowd was great. The environment was great. um, And I listened on the way home, and it just felt like Kentucky was in control of the game. They were up eight or whatever it was. I think it was 49
0: to 41. First half and second half.
1: Yeah. And then all of a sudden, at the very end, after Kansas State hadn't shot that well all game, there they come. They knocked down, what, four or five of their last five or six shots from three? Yep. Just out of nowhere. Yep.
0: And that's when, the one thing Kentucky did not have all year long was a legit, I mean, legit couple of guys that you knew could knock down threes.
1: Well, they did have Antonio Reeves, and then he just didn't show up in the big moment. Yeah. I mean he had his worst game of the season yesterday. It was one for fifteen from three or one for fifteen from the floor. I think it was one for ten from three. And the one three didn't even matter because it was in garbage time. So for him to come in there and be the guy that you're trying to rely on you know cj frederick had had been somebody else that they had uh wanted to be in there to space the floor to give you some shooting and i know he had struggled at points yep uh, but it was really antonio reeves that just didn't get it done yesterday and uh if you think maybe it, if he had only hit one two three more of those shots we'd be talking about a different situation here but one for 15 from the field is not
0: good not good um Okay, we're going to walk through uh, the brackets we had and walk through uh, the games that are going to take place um, here in a second. Are, are we having some kind of a streaming problem today? The guys on the uh, chat are saying that we're going in and out a lot today. you, are, you have any I, idea I about you, that? So,
2: yeah, I mean, we're, it's not on our end because we're able to stream to Facebook and it's fine. Um, there's some connectivity issue with YouTube. So I don't know if maybe YouTube is doing some maintenance. It seems to be stable now. So get the word out there, people. We're back. All right. Like the video. Like the video. Like the video. Like
0: the video. We got 18 of them so far. We're looking for a lot more than that. A lot more than that. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're take a break, Hammond Eggers will take it, and then we're going to come back and really walk through the rest of the tournament impressions. Of course, we really want to hear what Paul and his experience uh, down in Greensboro with the Musketeers was like. Big weekend for Paul. He made it. His car made it. <laughs> that is the biggest story of the weekend. It's not. Um, it's not Florida Atlantic. It's not Princeton. Not the Cinderella stories, it's that Paul's car, which has been living right on the brink, on literally a trip-by-trip basis, made it to Greensboro and back. We thank you, Lord, (laughs) for bringing Paul back to us. Ham and Eggers, take it away. It's that time of the show, the Ham and Eggers. These guys are great, trust me, I would know. I introduce all the best segments.
1: All right, Casey, you've been working your magic here. I can tell you're stressed. Oh, well, it's
2: nothing that I can do about uh, YouTube just sucking. I don't know what's going on with that. So I'm sorry for everyone that has been uh, struggling with that. Um, Please bear with us. Seems to be stable now. So I think think we're in a good spot. But you know who's not in a good spot? Oh, no. All those poor fans last night who picked – no, no, I was about to say it the opposite way. Who, who was the four and a half? What, who?
1: Oh, my God. Yeah, what a disaster that was. Yeah, that was. TCU. TCU. Plus four and a half. Yeah. Oh, man. It's, yeah. Those poor fans. Oh, <laughs> what a disaster. What a disaster. Yeah, that was one of the worst beats of the season. And I've been on the bad end of some of them. I, have, I was not on that game. I didn't even know what the line was, but I saw so many people tweeting about it. I knew it point, had to be something.
2: Point 0.7 yeah. seconds. Point 0.7 seconds. That's incredible. Very, very sorry for all those betters. I know a lot of you may or may not be struggling, but I saw something the other day that 33 out of 11, or I'm sorry, 33 and 11 was the under, the record for the under for the NCAA tournament, I got to remember that for next time.
1: Well, you know it's interesting you say that, Casey, because I was looking at a chart of uh, the three-point shooting in the NCAA tournament over the last few years, and how it's consistently gone down and down and down. And then I look at Xavier's performance on Friday; they were two for twelve from three. Shot it better yesterday, but that was mostly because Adam Kunkel started five for five. The rest of the team only made three threes. I just I think it's interesting looking at the tournament as a whole and just seeing what they do and and don't do with scoring and it it has also felt like the tournament has been officiated a whole lot differently than it was in the regular season. Chris Mack tweeted about that yesterday with kind of the freedom of movement. It feels m- more physical and things are getting called, things aren't getting called. It feels like it's been officiated a little differently than the than the regular season. Um but yes, to your point about the unders, yes. That you are spot on. Yeah. And you know i was uh also looking at my bracket
2: wh- which was funny no one is currently losing to the wheel if you follow box lunch in that show we uh did a wheel bracket and um it was actually doing quite well at first um now it's back down to the bottom but it's got xavier going all the way um it's laugh
1: out loud hilarious that we spent 20 minutes doing yeah. that and wound up with xavier
2: yeah, and the fact that it's actually not, like, completely out. Like, it, it's actually got a
1: chance to 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 upset people in our own... I mean, if Xavier was to win the national championship, the bra- that bracket would come in second place. Yeah. Behind Mousecout. Yeah, and I don't plan on... It was on... hilarious. Did you... Did you... Did you tell him what we did? No, I don't think I've told him what so we did. So on Box Lunch on, yes. on Wednesday afternoon, yep. Reed came in here, and we did that, that wheel, you know yep. that wheel that we do? Yep. We spun the wheel for all 63 games in the tournament. So we made a bracket from the, the tournament just from the wheel, and we just said favorite or underdog by seed. It picked Xavier to win the national championship. No joke. You can go back and watch it no on YouTube. No kidding. How about it's, that? It spun 63 times. Casey, poor Casey sat here and spun that wheel. And it's it spun fairly Dickinson, and it spun Xavier. And outside of that, it's in last place in the group. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I'll just pull it up right now since we're about to talk about it anyways. It is so kind of funny. This is
0: the, the results of the wheel. This, this is, is the it. wheel. So who, who, the, I, 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 who's in the championship game?
1: It's Xavier and uh, – is it – was that Furman they were supposed to play? Yeah. They had the Furman upset.
0: Furman and
2: Montana State were the final four on the on the east and the south side. Yeah. And then uh, it has Xavier and St. Mary's. So St. Mary's is gone. But if you look at this, if Xavier makes it all the way, if they beat Texas, I think a lot of people are going to start getting a little nervous about this game because – I mean there's no way that they can make it any further on this side on the like Gazaga side I guess.
1: Yeah. No. It, it it just is it is
2: funny. FAU completely random. I mean they could upset Tennessee if you ask me. And then yeah, I think they lost out on the other side. So really it's just Xavier. If Xavier makes it <laughs> if Xavier makes it to the final four at all, people are going to start sweating yeah. bullets over this bracket here. I just find it absolutely hilarious because, me, I got Texas in, in my Final Four. And I only have two teams left. So, I, as much as I want Xavier to win, I also don't want to lose the wheel. The wheel. So the I, wheel! I'm, I'm in a bit of a dilemma here, Tom. A
1: huge dilemma. It's all right, Casey. A lot of people would lose to the wheels. You got that
0: right. A lot of people. I Um, I mean, it it, it harkens back to what we talked about last week where uh, you could get your 10-year-old daughter to pick the tournament based on her favorite mascots, and you might come out better than some of us do on this Oh, yeah. (laughs) Especially this year. So you have, Paul, eight teams left in the Sweet 16? I have eight of the 16, yeah. I have seven. Casey, how many do you have? I have eight as well. Eight as well. Okay. All right, so uh, where do we want to start? You know, first I want to just get overall, uh, Paul, your impressions. Uh, I have a number of questions for you that a lot of Xavier fans are wondering about. Um, I want to hear your impressions of the two games for your Xavier Musketeers, starting with Kennesaw State. They're two guys in the hospital from the last five seconds of that game, but that's neither here nor there. I mean, come on. Anybody who watches that.
1: It, it, it I went was, back. I saw that comment.
0: Dude, the guy, first guy got killed on the arm. And then when the ball was deflected, the next guy got killed on the arm. Now, I'm not saying you blow whistles the last five seconds. I'm not say, And I'm not saying that they would have won. Because I give it up for Xavier. They were down. They came storming back. I'm the only guy around here who talks up Kunkel. I'm not saying you beat him. I didn't say you. But there are other guys around here. All they (laughs) do is kill Kunkel. And I've been saying all along, the guy is a gamer. He is tough. He plays with passion. He plays with fire. I love the guy. I love watching that. More than any Xavier player they have. And I know some of you are throwing stuff at your computer screens right now because he is a hot rod guy, right? He is. I love Kunkel. Guy's a gamer. Yeah, he is. Yeah, absolutely He is. hit the biggest shot of the year. Yes. That
1: three. I mean, Xavier probably doesn't win if he doesn't make that three. So, yes. Yeah,
0: All right, let's start real quick and back up for a minute because they, they, they brushed it off after. So, I want to start with a Kennesaw State game. That exchange that the whole world saw on television between Sule Boom and Kunkel. Yeah. Thoughts?
1: I think it was just two guys that got down to the end of their college. Those are the only two guys on the team that can't come back next year. So those are the only two guys that understand that their college careers are for sure coming to a close, and it was the spirit of competition. And he walked in the locker room after, and they were sitting there on their phones, and both of them were watching it, laughing with each other on their phones when he walked in the room. So I don't read too much into it. I think it was two guys being competitive. You know what's funny is – I, I
2: went to uh, a bar, uh, the Barrel House, here in Lebanon with my dad, and I'm sitting there eating this jalapeno burger. The first thing I thought of was, ooh, spicy, because I'm eating that. <laughs> <laughs> this is getting getting a little hot in here. Two teammates yeah, with fiery passion. I, I love it, honestly. Yep. Not that you asked my opinion. I, I like the fact that they got in each other's face, and we're trying to get each other to get ready for the next half. So, yep.
1: Yeah, I didn't see it happen. It, it, as soon as the whistle blows for these media timeouts, I go right back down into my computer to kind of figure out what happened in the last four minutes with, with the stats and everything. So I, I looked down as soon as they blew the whistle because I knew it was going to a media. And as they were walking back to the huddle, that was when it happened. And there was somebody sitting right behind the bench that uh, sent me a text and goes, did you see what just happened with Adam and Sulan I said, I, I, didn't, I didn't see a thing. I'll be honest. I was looking down. Um, man.
0: <laughs> Reed Mouse doubling down. Oh, my God. Saved the season, Tom. <laughs> he saved the season. How can a guy in Reed Mouse be a Xavier fan, which he is, legitimate Xavier fan, Yeah. and post that in our chat? I don't know. Kunkel does not stink. Kunkel is an asset to that team in many, many ways. You're around this team, yes. right? yes. I yeah. mean, you here, he's, he's a lightning rod player for the fan base. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, I mean, he, he is a very fiery guy. He's a very vocal guy. And he's also somebody that you talk about uh, – as somebody that could be a coach someday when you talk about. Yes, no doubt. And I think that that is also part of it maybe with Sule where Adam is so vocal, he's so overly vocal and and talking and communicating and everything that maybe there was a miscommunication there whether it was a defensive assignment, offensive assignment. I don't know what it was exactly. I didn't get the whole story. But um, either way, there was something there that was a miscommunication that ended up turning into what it turned into. I think it was okay. I don't think it was – I don't think it was anything uh, anything huge. Um, but, yeah, I mean, for Xavier to be down by 13 in the second half of that game, I, I did not think – when it got down to about 10 minutes to go, which is when Xavier went on their run, mm-hmm. when it was down into single digits on the clock and Xavier was still down 13, there was about – not I think it was 9.58 left on the clock, and KSU made a layup to go back up 13. And I sat there and I thought to myself – Xavier might be out of time here because they were trading threes and they weren't, or sorry, they were trading twos and they weren't getting stops. And I made the comment to Adam who was sitting to my left. I said, Hey, look, they are running out of possessions here to come back and win this game. Forget being able to score because at that point, Xavier only had 48 points in the game. They're just running out of time. And then finally from there, I mean, they outscored Kennesaw state, what? 25 or 27 to five the rest of the way or whatever it was. And, um, you know, it it was funny coming down to the very end. It's 18 seconds left. KSU has the ball. We've talked so much about Xavier's defensive effort this year. And the game came down to a defensive stop. And Jack Nungy slides over from the opposite block, gets a clean block, and saves the game, saves the season. Xavier goes on and blows out Pitt. And it kind of felt like that was how it was trending, that Xavier was going to win. If Xavier was able to hold on in that game, they'd get that game behind them, get a win under their belt, and they'd move on and have less pressure. And that's what it felt like.
0: All right, now, yesterday. Uh, yesterday, um, well, no, 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 no. All right, well, yeah, let, let's stay with yesterday for a minute. I mean, they, they just tore a pit apart. And, I mean, it, this was a, a Xavier game where they got back in a little different way to looking like Xavier offensively. Six guys in double figures, right? Yeah. Colby Jones, double-double. Um, Nunji scores 18. Nungy's played well in the tournament. There's no doubt about it. Yep. Uh, he is a solid big man. Solid player. Um, and better than most big men, truth be told, that are out there and that are still left in the tournament. He's very he may good. not be Zach Eadie, but he's pretty damn good.
1: Well, Zach Eadie's out. That, so. yes, yes, he is.
0: <laughs> But, I mean, yesterday, though, I mean, that was that was Sean Miller, Xavier basketball yesterday. Is that fair to say? Oh, it
1: absolutely was. It was the epitome of what Xavier has done well this year. I know they didn't make a field goal in the last six minutes, and it got a little dicey. But yesterday against Pitt was the absolute epitome, for back of a letter word, uh, of Xavier basketball this year and what it looks like when Xavier plays well. They were assisting on almost every field goal. They were shooting the ball well, especially Adam Kunkel in the first half, but that goes back to finding the open shooter and finding the hot guy. They did. Um, it was it was overall a surgical performance in the first half, and then they didn't take their foot off the gas in the second half until the end, but they were even still able to just take the air out of the ball. And sort of like what I thought might happen on Friday with Xavier, Pitt ran out of time. But at the, at the same point, it wasn't like Pitt came back and Xavier won by two or three and didn't cover. Xavier still ended up winning by double digits, even though they didn't make a field goal for the last six-plus minutes of the game. And I think that's a statement to how well Xavier started, how well they started the second half as well, all of those things combined. They did a really good job of going out there, putting a game plan together, executing the game plan. Uh, Dante Jack, usually in a game like that, or in any game, doesn't matter, NCAA tournament, wherever, it's an assistant coach's job to do what they call the scout, which is you're putting the game plan together for – uh, the game and it was Dante Jackson the assistant coach for Xavier it was his scout for the Pitt game uh, to to scout Pitt and and put that game plan together yesterday obviously the head coach Sean Miller and the head coaches around college basketball they have input and in everything but one assistant coach gets assigned to the game and it's their game more so than anybody else's Dante Jackson is somebody that had played Pitt in the NCAA tournament in his career this game meant a lot to him not that it didn't mean any more to the assistant coaches but you knew uh, I, I think I knew when I when I found out the night before that uh, that it was Dante's scout for that pick game that I felt pretty good about Xavier's chances. This assistant coaching staff, Adam Cohen, is somebody that's been rumored to be um, in, in the running for the Buffalo head coaching job, which is a great job at, at the mid-major level. David Miller has been a, a phenomenal head uh, assistant coach for Xavier this year. Um, he's the son of Dave Miller, who's been an assistant coach in the NBA. So there are a lot of ties to this program this year and the coaching staff, and then of course Sean at the top. But I, I just can't get over the fact, Tom, that one year ago, exactly yesterday, one year ago, was the day that Xavier hired Sean to be the head coach. And he all it took was a year to get back to that point and to to get to a point where you are now competing for a final four. I mean that is an incredible accomplishment and it was so weird last year, thinking back to the NIT and to the way that that season ended, winning the NIT, now coming back and, and making the Sweet 16. And teams stayed together. They lost DeWan Odom last year. But outside of that, nobody else transferred. Bring everybody back, you get a point guard. Now you're in the Sweet 16.
0: Well, the, the player that changed it all for Miller this year is without a doubt Boone. Yes. Now, having said that, we always talk about pressure and we talk about playing in these games and i think we both would agree even the most art and xavier fan would agree their first two games have not been exactly against juggernaut opponents here i mean kennesaw state is Kennesaw kind of State? They won a nice game in the first round. I mean, it played a nice game in the first round against Xavier, no doubt about it. The coach was unbelievable after the game. He I was. Mean, I would send my kid to play for that dude all right. day, every day. I mean, amazing. That guy's interview, um, and and he was just fantastic. But then you play Pitt. I mean, Pitt 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 was not very good all year long. They were in the first four. God bless them. They won that game. They, you know. Then they won a game over uh, Iowa State, who played very badly uh, in that game. But Kennesaw State and Pitt, they are what they are. But you have to go beat those teams. And there are some other teams that did not go do that. The Purdue's of the world, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Suley Boom has been brutal. And that's the only way to describe it in the first two games. He's eight for 26 from the field. He's only made two three-pointers total. In the two games combined. Now, there are two ways of looking at that, of course. One is your best player did not do anything the first two games of the tournament, and you won both games. The flip side is are we going any further now that we're playing real teams and Texas is a real team? Are you going anywhere if Boom can't get it together?
1: Well, I do think there is the flip side argument to be made that he didn't shoot the ball well. From the field, he was one for seven from three. But he was also seven for eight from the foul line in massive spots where it mattered. And Xavier's been able to rely on him at the free throw line all year. He also pulled down seven rebounds. He had five assists and he only had one turnover. So he didn't shoot the ball well.
0: Well, but But I'm talking about you and I both have to agree on the fact that if Boom can't score, they're not going to beat a real team. Kennesaw and Pitt aren't real teams. And again, that's not taking anything away from the fact that X is in the Sweet 16. What you just said is spot on. They brought in a big time coach. Clearly the dividends have paid off. Now they're playing this week with a chance to go to the Elite Eight and maybe the Final Four after the weekend is said and done. But they are not going to beat Texas if Sule Boom again goes out there and gets one field goal.
1: Yeah, they're going to need more offensive production from him. I, I do agree with that. They're going to need more offensive production from the field from him because they're going to have to keep Texas' defense honest. I mean, look, this is a Texas team that in general is – I don't – last night I was I was driving home and I was uh, doing some uh, – some, I was on a Xavier space after the game and I was kind of thinking about it. The more I've looked at it, the more I'm not necessarily going to go so far maybe to say that it's a complete nightmare that I called it last night. That Texas matchup, but look, this is a team that's 15th in the country offensively and 10th defensively. They are a well-balanced team that won the Big 12 tournament by 20 points in the championship game over Kansas. They only had one loss, excuse me, in the non-conference schedule. They had that crazy loss to Kansas State back in January, but other than that, I mean, they've lost to Baylor and TCU, but they don't have a loss outside of the top 60 in Ken Palm, and they only have one loss outside the top Thirty-three in Ken Palm. That was Texas Tech. They lost by seven, but that was an away game. It's going to be a neutral court in Kansas City. Xavier's going to absolutely have to play their A game for 80 minutes here because whether – you know, if you beat Texas, which I do think they can do. Yep. I don't think that this is some insurmountable test. No, definitely not. I'm with you. Because, again, to your point about these Big 12 teams and sometimes laying eggs this year, I mean – Texas did lose to Texas Tech. I know that was an away game and an emotional game, and there were some other factors, you know, in there like that. But they did lose to Texas Tech, who is one of the worst teams in the Big 12. Granted, still a top 60 team. But this is not Xavier playing 2021 Gonzaga or 2021 Baylor. Right. That would, you know, these these crazy teams that are just over everybody else. But this is the best team by far that they will have played so far in this tournament without a question. And probably the best team they have played so far this year. So they're going to they're gonna have to be up for the challenge against a Texas team that runs pretty deep. They run eight, eight guys deep. And I was talking to somebody this morning on, on the way in about it. Um, I don't think that Xavier has necessarily a bad matchup in the starting five. I think it's you could argue that Xavier's starting five is right up there with Texas in their starting five. It's once you get into the bench yeah. and Texas can go, you know, eight, maybe yeah. nine deep and Xavier's going six, maybe seven deep that, uh, you know, Jack Menji can't get into foul trouble, all those things. But we can talk more about that as the week goes on. All it right. was a great weekend in Greensboro. A lot of fun games. Kentucky fans were, were there in full force. Uh, Pitt fans traveled really well too. Xavier fans uh, packed out on their half of the court. It, it was a very fun weekend. It was the first time that I had been to a first weekend of the NCAA tournament. So I I enjoyed it. It was a great weekend.
0: Fantastic. Well, we're glad you're safe. Yeah. We're glad you're safe. Yes. As we talked about. All right, Casey, let's start with your bracket. Pull it up. Uh, Of how you picked them. And then we'll get to Paul's bracket. I'll just say what mine were uh, as we go along. Because uh, uh, I did not enter the quote-unquote pool, so it's not available. But I can tell you, and I'll be honest about who I got. I got seven final four teams. I mean, seven teams left. In the Sweet 16. Three of my four Final Four are still alive. Uh, The Big Blue ruined it for me. I had a rematch, which everybody wanted to see on the planet. Duke versus Kentucky. Everybody wanted to see that game. But no, it's not going to happen.
1: It really is crazy thinking about that tweet that you said. Because I saw that tweet yesterday, too, from Darren. If you're Madison Square Garden, you could have had Purdue, Duke, Kentucky, Kentucky. And Michigan State,
0: or Marquette,
1: or Marquette. Either way, because Marquette right. fans, we saw how they just traveled absolutely to, to MSG. So either way, Marquette or Michigan State—that's a win. But Duke, Kentucky, and Purdue, and then throw in Michigan State or Marquette into a regional final. Oh my God, that—that that would have been no doubt pure electricity for four straight for three straight days, and. I mean, look, that's just how the tournament shakes out. Now, that's yeah. right. Florida Atlantic, Michigan State, Tennessee, and who's the other one? I'm blanking. Who's the fourth? Florida Atlantic, Tennessee.
0: Florida Michigan Atlantic, Who Tennessee. Is, who's Michigan State? Kansas State. Kansas State. Boy, now there is a team flying Kansas under State. the radar, and they they look yeah. pretty good. They're pretty good.
1: Well, Jerome Tang, well, has, to steal a phrase from you, he's had it going all year.
0: He's had it going. All right. Casey, uh, do we have this or no?
1: You're yeah, tired,
0: we, Bracket. Yeah, we got it. All right, well, let's get it up there. All right, so let's see here, Casey. Walk us through here just, you know, quickly in a broad sense. Um, who we have here and where things have gone well, where they've gone astray.
2: Um, I picked the wrong spot, just kind of like what uh, Paul said earlier on in the show. I picked Charleston instead of Furman. Um, and that 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 kind of hurt that side of the bracket a little bit. Really loved Huggy Bear in that game. I thought that game was close enough. It could have gone either way. Um, but then Alabama just smokes. I think everyone consensus has them going into the final four. Creighton, um, that was kind of a last-minute decision. I actually had Baylor, uh, but Paul... Really convinced me, and the Ken Palm statistically just has them as a better team, and Baylor being so consistent as a plate, great for
0: me. Complac- Wait a minute, is this your bracket that's up there? Yeah, this is mine. You had Princeton going to the Sweet no, Six. No, no, no. The, the no, team no, no.
1: underneath that—that the team that you see—you got to look at the little, the little, little tiny text that's underneath of it. You probably—it's that's tough to see.
0: Yeah, I don't see it. Anyway, regardless, I didn't have – Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, 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 okay. All right. I picked Arizona too. Yes, I I got you. Okay. All right. So for people at home, that's what we're looking at here. Yeah. So you had, uh, obviously, Alabama. You had San Diego State. You had Creighton. Or did you have – yeah, you had Creighton. And then you had Arizona. Yeah. Which everybody had Arizona. Yeah. I I think –
2: that side of the bracket really hasn't been too rough, except for the early stages, you know, the Furman and the Charleston. Yeah, old news lot. there. All right. Um, I definitely um, handicapped myself picking in KU. Um, that just meant that Houston going all the way to the, you know, yep. the 16 here. And, and then, uh, then you went with Drake
0: tough. and Kent State. I mean, you completely laid an egg on all those.
2: Yeah, all yeah. That, yeah. that. That entire part of the bracket just – Busted. But luckily for me, you know, Xavier has done well. Penn State did well. Texas won. Yep. Um, I have Texas going to the Final Four, but we'll, we'll see. I'm, I'm hopeful that Xavier can get it done. I don't care about my bracket that much.
0: Okay. I'm just going to say mine. We'll put Paul's up in a second. I had over there Alabama against Virginia. We know Virginia laid an egg. And I had Baylor against Arizona. So the only team I have left on that side is Alabama. I have them winning the whole thing. On the other side, I did have Houston. I did have Miami. Scroll that back up a second.
2: That's up.
0: I I can't see the big screen, but scroll that back up. Oh, okay. Um, I I did not have Xavier. I had Iowa State playing Texas, and I eventually have a Houston moving on to the Final Four. So those are two Final Four teams I still have alive. All right, so now we go to the bottom half, Casey, of your bracket.
2: Yeah, and I I couldn't pull the trigger on uh, on Purdue being upset in the first round, but I did have them <laughs> losing in the in the 32. Uh, I just didn't pick the right team to upset them. Yeah, um, I that hear you. Memphis FAU game, that was actually an underrated game in my opinion. That was a pretty good game. Yeah, awesome uh, game. It was Great an game. awesome game. All the way to the end, honestly. Um, FAU, though, has been really impressive to me. Um, I'm very excited to see them against Tennessee. And I, I of course, picked Duke. That was a very popular pick. Yep. Um, They stood no chance against Tennessee, though. That was tough. That was a tough one to watch. Kentucky, Kansas State. That was a really fun game to watch. Um, I had Kansas State. Uh, It was very fun watching... Initially, just the comeback, honestly, because Kentucky had a pretty firm hold, in my opinion, in most of that game. Oscar Sheebway was incredible. Oh. But Kansas State oh. it just pulled oh. away. Um, and the game that I'm most surprised with out of everything in this was just the Kansas Arkansas game. Um, that one really hurt. I had them in the final. So I'm already looking really rough for my final prediction. Um, I mean, I still think Alabama wins it, but you want those points if you can get those in the bracket tournament. But other than that, I picked everything else correctly on that side of the bracket. UConn, Gonzaga, UCLA. I don't know if that was super hard to pick those teams, but in the end, I have Gonzaga winning. Um, against UCLA, and I have I had Kansas. But if I were to pick now between UConn and Arkansas, I'm going to pick UConn, and I'm going to have Gonzaga go to the final four. I should have done that for all these. Um, Right now, if I were to pick on the other side, I have Kansas State making it to the final four, Alabama, of course. And then on this side, I'm still going to pick Texas. Um, I just think Houston. I don't care what I saw on that. Auburn game I don't believe much of them if they run across a team that's super defensive we all better watch out yep.
0: well uh again I'll just give mine uh I I'm blown out of the bracket on the left side I'm completely done in the east I do Kentucky playing so I'm DUN there but I am red hot four for four on the other side all right uh, no, I beg your pardon. No, I, I'm three out of four on the other side. I did not have Arkansas. I had Kansas, UConn, Gonzaga, UCLA. Right. I want to get back to Duke for a minute. Because if anybody watched that game, and, and, and that was one of the games that after they got through the first round, that was one of the ones I, I can't sit down. I don't know about some of you. I mean, I can't sit there all day long and watch. I just can't do it. Um, because there's some games I care about. Like yesterday, I kind of cared about those first three games. And then at first two games, really. And then after that, I didn't care again until late at night, the TCU game. And and I can't stay up that late getting up as early uh, as I do. So I only watch till halftime. But, you know, when you look at a program like Duke. Since 2010, Duke has only been to two Final Fours. One of them was last year. And Mike Krzyzewski's last year when they got beat by North Carolina in the national semis 2010 they've only been to two final fours i would make the case a big reason for that is because they're soft they they have these guys like their big man he's a hell of a player Philipowski? yeah but i mean look and i know that for these young men The goal is to go from college to the NBA and make a lot of money for your families, and that's all fine. I'm all on board with all of that, just like I would if it was my kid or if you would for your kid. But when I'm assembling a college basketball team, if I want to make a run in the tournament, now there are extremes, okay? I think you can have too many guys that are like football players and not really great basketball players, right? I think that Purdue... And Michigan State and teams like that. I think that they need to maybe change Painter at, at Purdue. He, he's he got to start thinking about what is it that we're missing? What kind of player are we not recruiting? Okay? And for them, their guard play's terrible. They couldn't handle good pressure. They had Edie in the middle, one of the best players in the country. No doubt about it. But... As good as they were this year, and I watched them in the Big Ten tournament, I thought to myself, who's going to beat these guys? Until I saw all of a sudden teams start putting pressure on them, on their guards. And then you're like, ooh, red flag, red flag. Um, But Duke, to only go, and it's hard to get to the Final Four. Look, it's really hard. But for Duke to only get to two Final Fours in the last 13 years, I'm... They're big guys shooting threes, and I know that's what the NBA game has become. 6'9", 6'10", 7-foot guys that can shoot the three and all that kind of thing. But man, that Tennessee team, they, they they just mauled Duke. Duke wanted nothing to do with that team. Am I right or wrong on this?
1: That's what I I was listening to it. That's what it sounded
0: like. It's absolutely what it sounded like. I mean, they just mauled this team. Yeah. Their defense, their toughness, their rebounding, their drive, their will. I mean, look, you know, Duke and Kansas, North Carolina. I mean, we're talking about schools. You talk about the blue blood of the blue, but Kentucky... Every guy they get's a four- and five-star guy. Every guy they get, right, by and large. They're four- five-star recruit everybody in the country wants, right? Yeah. And yet, we were debating on this topic. Trace was saying about, he doesn't know if Michigan State's a blue blood. Well, here they are again. Here they are again. And then I look at, of the quote-unquote blue bloods that are left out there, there's only one left. In my opinion, that's a true blue blood. I mean, you can debate Michigan State, I put him in there. And that's UCLA. Now you could say Gonzaga is, they haven't been there in the long haul. Which, by the way, I gotta tell you, Mark Few, I mean, great coach. Great coach. But I gotta tell you, you know, when you watch his interviews, he is nothing like the rest of the guys are. Ninety nine percent of these guys have been fantastic whether it's in-game or post-game after a win, whether it's Sean Miller, whether it's Kelvin Sampson, whether it's Cal, whether it's any of them. Phew, just cranky, you know, and he's had that reputation for a long time. That's a hard team to root for, Gonzaga. I can't root for him. And I was there when they had the first ever run to the Sweet 16 in Phoenix, Arizona. I was at the game in that regional semifinal and final. The crowd never seen anything like it. The Gonzaga fans and they travel great, man. I mean, man, do they travel?
1: You put a game east or uh, west of the Mississippi. Yeah, Gonzaga fans are selling that place out. No
0: doubt, they're unbelievable. Fuse cranky, it gets tired, and after watching them, and they played pretty well against TCU. Watch the first half. Went back and watched a little bit of the highlights and stuff this morning. Just based on watching those two teams, and I'm sure I'll be wrong as I've been the rest of the tournament, I think UCLA is going to blow them out of the gym. UCLA is good.
1: Yeah, they are very good. Uh, And they've also, they've grown on me as the season has gone along. UCLA has. I don't think it'll be a blowout, um, but I wouldn't be shocked either way uh, with with the result of this game. I lean Gonzaga, but I haven't also done like a, you know, I haven't, gone in done a huge deep dive kind of just first impression of it um I, I kind of lean Gonzaga though uh in a matchup like that they have a lot of experienced guys not that not that UCLA doesn't either because you look at a guy like Tiger Campbell Jaime Jaquez I mean they, they, you talk about some guys that have been around the block yep have played in some big time games no doubt um I do see Sir Boy Wonder reporting via John Fanta that barring a Last-minute change of heart, Ed Cooley is going to take the Georgetown job. Okay,
0: which, now I want you to wow. expand on your uh, theory here, which you you were the one who said this before the show ever got started today that you thought Cooley was going for sure to Georgetown.
1: Yeah, so I have a—I have a conspiracy theory here, and I don't really have anything to back this up. I've just been kind of doing some thinking on it. I, I did fully expect Ed to take this job by the end of the day today, and like Fanta says, it looks like that's going to happen. So that opens up Providence. Well, Tom. Oh, boy. Let me ask you a question,
0: Here we go. I I got a question. Here we go.
1: Got a question for you, Tom. Yes, sir. There's a name out there right now. Yep. A pretty big name, I'd say, in college
0: basketball. I would say you're probably right. In
1: fact, Tom, I think you would probably agree with me that this name that I'm going to say might be one of the greatest coaches, if not a top three, you said in the monologue, five head coach of all time.
0: Well, I mean, pro-college whole nine yards. Yeah. The, the, the results are what they are. And you are talking about?
1: Rick Pitino. Okay. Is Rick Patino, and I'm just throwing this out there, I say there's a 5% chance that it happens, but it's non-zero. Is there a chance that Rick Pitino is slow playing this St. John's thing because he wants to go back to Providence? It's like the old Matthew McConaughey ad. Sometimes you got to go back to go forward.
0: Yep. Hmm.
1: Maybe Rick Pitino is slow playing this St. John's thing. Now, for all intents and purposes, it does seem like Rick Patino to St. John's is happening. That's been reported for a while. It's also been reported that it's been in the works for a while, even before that. I, I think I've seen that somewhere. I could be wrong, but I think I've seen that somewhere. That that's been in the works for a long time. Would not shock me. Also, just saw that Mike Anderson is going to sue the school to sue st john's over his firing there i don't know mm. what that would or what grounds he would have to that i didn't read the story i just saw the headline but maybe there is a world here where rick patino because look st john's has facility issues karnaseca Arena is, is not an elite level arena a- arena in the big east we you know what it is madison square garden but the flip side of Madison Square Garden is St. John's has to re-up their deal with MSG to play their home games there. If they can't do that, which I'm sure is part of it, if they can't do that, maybe. Just maybe. I do think there is a 99% chance that Rick Pitino will be in the Big East next year.
0: All right. Well, let, let, me, let me ask you about a couple of these things because it's been pointed out here in the chat. And I don't know. I've never been there. So you tell me. Uh, someone says Providence is just a miserable town.
1: That I don't know. I've never been to Providence.
0: Okay. Road. Well, I mean, I've heard that before, but Ed Cooley is a Providence guy. He is. He's, he's born and raised yeah. guy there. I mean, he, he loves it there, and what a great dude. I mean, I, I love that guy. I've talked about him before. Uh, he's an awesome guy. Why, Why? Uh, because you do know the Big East, Why is Providence? Uh, why is Georgetown a better job theoretically than Providence? Well, money? Is it all money or is it recruiting? What well, is it?
1: not well, not not necessarily money for Cooley, although I do think he'll get paid a little more. I don't think money is necessarily the issue as far as like a contract goes, because I think Cooley, when you're talking about four or five and a half million dollars, which is basically the difference in, in the initial contracts that I had heard or had seen reported, I think that I had heard of some, you know, whether it's NIL or just some things like that that, Cooley was looking for some more support from Providence as far as NIL or some of that goes. And he felt like he had a higher ceiling at Georgetown in that. Because if you get Georgetown back to national prominence, those donors and those people at Georgetown are going to come flocking. They have the highest endowment in the Big East. One of the highest endowments. Yeah, a lot of
0: big money people come out of there. Yeah, so...
1: If you get to a point where you're starting to – I mean, it's hard to sell out the uh, Capital One Arena for Georgetown basketball. But if you get to a point where you are putting Georgetown on the map again and you're consistently making NCAA tournaments, you're competing for Big East titles, all of those things, the donors are going to flock to the Hoyas. And that is something that Ed Cooley would jump at the chance to do. I'm just shocked that he's leaving his hometown. I mean, it is – this is going to be a situation now where he has to play Providence twice a year, maybe three times if they meet in the Big East tournament. And he is going to be going from being the guy. Yep. The guy yep. in his hometown. Yep. The guy. To now going down to Georgetown in the same conference <laughs> and having to go back and play them in Providence. But once I, a year. I gotta
0: tell you, and I know a little bit about what I'm talking about here. Uh, you know, and I had uh I had a wise man once say to me a long time ago when I was thinking about leaving Arizona to come to Cincinnati. Your hometown, there are a lot of great things about it. And then there are some things that you don't think about that all of a sudden, once you get back there, there, it's not, and I don't mean this in a negative way. It just, there are things that come up that you never thought of. And sometimes you just have to get out. And Cooley has obviously reached that point in time. It's time to leave. and, And at the end of the day, when he gets to be an old man... Uh, he's still going to be loved and revered in Providence, Rhode Island. He is a Providence guy. He might come in there two times or one time a year, get booed. That's fine. You move on. The people who know you know you. They know what you're all about. He's done a phenomenal job there at Providence. But Georgetown, the name, the history, all that kind of thing, it's Georgetown. Patino just seems like the natural fit for me uh, in in New York City. He's been there. Yeah. Right? I mean, he's been there. Pro coach. He's a New York, you know, kind of guy. Yeah.
1: Right? Oh, you didn't say that very – you didn't say that right. New York kind of guy.
0: Guy. A New York (laughs) guy. Jerry Darren used to say, glue guy. Rich or realer. A glue guy. Nobody can do that imitation better than Jim Day. We got to get him on the air one day. Um, All right. Now, Paul, let's get your picks up there.
1: Well, one last thing before you put this up there. You are spot on with the Rick Pitino New York. I mean, he lives on Wingfoot, the golf course.
0: He's, That's a New York yeah. only guy like you would know that. But, yeah, okay, yeah. go ahead. He lives – He lives. You on, mean to tell me Rick Pitino lives year-round in New York? He doesn't get out of the cold?
1: They, I mean, the, the, I, I read a long, in-depth article Matt Norlander wrote on Pitino and why St. John's – Basically, if you read between the lines of the article, right, it is why St. John's is a good fit for him. He wouldn't have to move. He loves living on Wingfoot. Gets to stay there. I don't know. We'll see. We'll I mean, see.
0: B- Brian is just killing people on this, this thing today. He's killed Cal, and now he's killing Mick Cronin. What did Mick Cronin ever do to tick anybody off around here?
1: Didn't win the big one.
0: Well, okay. All right.
1: I mean, I'm just answering the question. All right.
0: All right. Well, let me that's... ask you right now, okay? At the end of the day, would you like to have Mick Cronin still here?
1: I I think it's, yes. I mean, come on. Yes.
0: I and mean, that's not saying anything bad about Brandon or anything bad about Wes Miller. God bless them both. But come on. The last nine years Mick was here, they went to the tournament. I mean, come on. Brian, come on. I mean, come on. He says, speaking of Mick Cronin, somebody please take out UCLA. And Mouse Cop is saying, go, Brian. (laughs) I mean, okay. All right. So, um, all right. Let's see your bracket, Paul. We'll take a timeout, and then we're going to shift gears over to some um, NFL stuff today because there's a lot going on. Did I see the Bengals have brought back Max Sharping? I'd forgotten that name. Did they re-sign him today? I saw
1: that. Was that today? Yeah. So
0: now, all of a sudden, they've got about 800 offensive linemen in that room. Hey, can't have enough. Can't have enough. All right, we'll get to that in a minute. Mouse Cop says, I'm in your head, Tom. You're living <laughs> rent-free there, Mouse Cop. All right, go ahead.
1: Oh, bracket?
0: Let's see. it. I mean, tell bracket. us who you got here. Let's go. Let's All see right. how you did. You got eight teams left.
1: All right. So I have eight of the Sweet 16 left. Here it is. Still have Houston in uh, as my national champion. I had Creighton into the uh, into the Sweet 16 here. I it's funny we were talking about it before the show. We had the right idea when we were talking about the Charleston and the Furman games. We had the right idea, but it picked the wrong side. Uh, and San Diego State ended up getting in. Furman was the one that won. But I, you know, if you go back and listen, we we said one of the 12 or 13 in there was going to win, and it was Furman that ended up. Winning, not Charleston, San Diego State to the Sweet 16. Arizona, man, I told everybody, bound and determined to pick them two or three rounds too far. And I picked them three rounds too far. They get burnt in the first game. Yes, they did. Uh, On the right side of the bracket, Houston survives Northern Kentucky. North should have won that game. North absolutely should have won that game. Casey, I was rooting for you hard. We all (laughs) were. Um, Auburn, good win there. That was in their backyard. Totally botched the Drake and Indiana, uh, Drake and Miami thing there. Um, I had Indiana moving on, but I didn't think Miami would get past them. I thought Indiana would beat Drake. Doesn't matter anyway. Houston and Xavier there in the Sweet 16 or in the uh, Elite Eight. Right. I thought Texas would lose to Texas A and M. Penn State gave them a run, but couldn't get it done. Texas A and M um, got blown out. Man, what a what a bad performance there colgate didn't give texas as much of a run as i thought they would although it was a nine point game at half now it's xavier in texas on a on a week of preparation um all right let's scroll the bottom here yep. and in the bottom so bottom left bracket i botched marquette I, I guess i overvalued marquette or i undervalued michigan state i did terribly down there everybody's out Bottom left bracket's a complete wash. Got Kentucky and Tennessee right. That's about it. Uh, and then in the bottom right, we're cruising, except that it's chalk, so it wasn't all that hard to pick. Yeah. Uh, UConn, Gonzaga to the Elite Eight, and Gonzaga winning that game. We'll see. Does UConn have the chops? Do they finally get to the Elite Eight under Dan Hurley? I mean, they won a game for the first time under Dan Hurley in the, in the NCAA tournament. So that's the bracket. Final four, final. Want to talk about how many you
0: have left? You have three of the four, right? Three of the four. Me too. You got three of the four, right? Casey, two of the four. Two of the four. Two of the four. Okay. Two of the four. Okay. I have uh, UCLA, Houston, Alabama. Who do you have? Paul Gonzaga, Houston,
1: Gonzaga, and uh, Alabama. Okay. And Casey, your two are Texas and Alabama. Texas and Alabama.
0: Alabama and Houston seem to be flying really low under the radar. And that's because they just don't bring a big prominent name to the party, right? I mean, they, they you know, they've had good teams in the past. I'm not saying that. But, you know, Brandon Miller, the first game, they scored 96. He doesn't score a point. He's got an injury. Sasser has to leave the first game, doesn't play the second half. Then all of a sudden, Sasser comes back and looks great the other day. Houston looked like Houston the other day. Um If Sasser's healthy, I would have changed my pick for a national champion and think that Houston's going to win the whole thing. But uh, I can't do that at this point. All right, let's take a break. Uh, When we come back, we're talking some football. So, Casey, you better be on your game. Football. Of course, Tom. The National Football League. Hammond Eggers, here we go. All right. Petito. (laughs) Uh,
1: So, yes, so when we come back, we'll be talking Bengals. Casey, you know what that means.
2: I do know what that means
1: means it's going to be time for the bengals report which is brought to you by encore technologies encore technologies provides it solutions for a data-centered world with a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center supporting both centralized and work from home com- whoa work from home good lord work from home computing models to improve efficiency and productivity oh we still got it casey visit encore.tech the path to innovation begins here There is also a new premium alkaline water, and it is right in front of us. Casey and I both have one. Pawnee. Made in Hamilton, Ohio, Pawnee uses natural limestone filtration. Unlike the artificial processing that many other brands use, the result is a healthy alkaline water that is also the best tasting water in the world. Visit their website at pawneewater.com. That's P-A-H-H-N-I water.com to see where you can buy this great tasting water.
2: You know what would make that segment just a little bit more spicy? What would a Pawnee water. We have to chug a Pawnee water before you finish that whole entire oh. bad read.
1: I could uh, read real slow. I'm pretty good at chugging you know, water. I, I'm not, not so very beer. good
2: at chugging. So I would probably lose every time. But it would be great when I win one. It
1: would be fantastic content. It would be. I'll, re- I'll just One of these days, I'll just read it real slow. Just ease into it real slow. Uh, yeah, so get your technology solutions from Tech. drink Pawnee water, get your coffee from UDF, bet with Betfred. I have all the Betfred lines down there at the bottom. Um, got still two weekends of college basketball left. It's not over yet. Xavier plus 650 to win their next two games. All right, we have, uh... Paul's a big water chugger. I can. I can put it down. I don't drink a lot of water
2: though. I should drink more water.
1: I should drink more Pawnee water.
2: I used to drink too much water, I feel like. Really? Yeah, I I'm just not my parents would buy like a 64 pack of bottled water and I'd drink it in like 3 days. Pa- yeah.
1: Pawnee water here in the office is about the only time I drink water. Drink more. water. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's starting to get to that point for me, too. Got to change
0: that, boys. You got to drink a lot of water. Yeah. A lot. It's very important. Very good for you. Can wash out a lot of the bad stuff that both of you guys partake in. It's true. On a regular basis.
1: Degenerates. All right, Casey, when I left you on uh, Wednesday, I checked in on Thursday or Friday's show, but when I left you on Wednesday, I asked you a question. And I said, how much equity has the Bengals front office built up to do the right thing? Because at that point, when I was in studio, the Bengals had not made a significant move yet in free agency, guys had left. Now I'm sitting there on my phone, I had checked into my hotel room, the Wi-Fi wasn't working, had to call the support center. It was a disaster scene. I look down at my phone and I see Orlando Brown signs with the Bengals. I said, "Well, first off, I see all these texts from everybody and all caps, And I'm going, "What is? Something happened?" I'm going, "What? What happened?" What's going on?
0: Well, tell, you tell him where you went on the Duke. because the last time Paul was around. And well, I, I listened
1: asked, to the live show, so I know that on the scale, we're feeling pretty good.
0: Well, for those of you that don't know what we're talking about, new to the show, most of you are not new to the show, but we had asked Casey before the Orlando Brown signing, when Von Bell walked out the door, Jesse Bates walked out the door, Hayden Hurst walked out the door, um, some P. Ryan walks out the door, blah, blah, blah. On a scale of 1 to ten, one being the the, uh, lightest, 10 being the darkest of where he was on the Bengals, you were at a a 7.5. You were bordering on an Aaron Rodgers-like darkness retreat. And then with one single signing, you all of a sudden got down into the ones.
2: Yeah. um, Mainly because what... So let me... Let me make it more realistic. I'm gonna say two. <laughs> okay, I'm, that's I'm fair. out of two. two. And that's mainly because they still haven't addressed tight end. Um they uh had a guy visit Foster Moreau and he did not leave with contract. That worried me a little bit because there's not very many good options left. I'm not a fan of Irv Smith. His injury history is not great. You're risking a guy not even playing this year and him being your starter um although more and more it looks like they're going to spend that first round pick on a tight end because they just haven't addressed it yet but regardless addressing the left tackle spot when they didn't need to to me says a lot about how they feel about protecting joe burrow is the number one priority i mean they didn't have to go get orlando brown they could have easily just gotten uh, Jermaine Elmure for three years and $20 and just been okay with that and gotten a a stopgap guy. No, they said we're going to improve where we think we can improve at. Left tackle is a spot where they said we don't have anything long-term secured there. Jonah is not really produced at a high enough level to where we think that Bringing in Orlando Brown Jr. makes sense, and it was a great signing too. It puts him at the 18th highest paid tackle tackle in the league, which is a great deal for the Bengals, and not to mention that they front-loaded it, and they put it in with a bunch of signing bonus cash that doesn't affect our cap too much, not to mention that there's still a potential for this Bengals team to have a ton of cap space. They could easily trade away, Jonah, for pennies. I I still think that's what they should do.
0: Well, Ian Rappaport reported Friday. Yep. He was the first guy to come out and say that that I've heard. Maybe some of you have heard different. Where he said a deal for Williams could happen sooner rather than later. He said it's hard uh, to see them getting more than a third-round pick. Because of the fact, of course, that Williams is in the final year of a deal. He's making $12.5 million, 12.6 to be exact. Uh, And there aren't a lot of teams out there that can handle that kind of hit uh, in in regard to cap space. But he said there are a few. And he said there also aren't a lot of teams looking for a left tackle. I just, I can't, I can't tell you. And I don't know, he might be the nicest guy in the world. Uh, I know that Frank Pollack tried to talk him out of it over the weekend, him being Williams and his agent coming out right after the signing of Brown that he wanted to trade. And look, all of us understand a left tackle is paid more than a right tackle. Williams has only been a left tackle. He wants to make left tackle money. So from the business side of things, I get it. Yeah. Okay. I get it. But you've already proven you can play left tackle. You're coming off a year where you played through two knee injuries. Uh, the first one, you didn't miss a snap. The guy's a gamer, can't be debated on that. But I said it on Friday, I'll say it again today. I am really, really uh, stunned that that Williams, in a year, his final year for a team that drafted him in the first round, uh, and uh, he has a chance to play. He's played in back-to-back AFC championship games. He's played in a Super Bowl. He has a chance to win the whole thing this year. And apparently he's unwilling to move to right tackle. Yeah, I
2: mean, it's, um, I, I don't blame him for the money perspective. I don't think that it's a smart decision for him to, to do that. Um just because I don't know if he can really cut it as a left tackle. That's that's more my my problem with him doing this is because he hasn't really shown that he can be, in my opinion, a franchise left tackle. I think he, he is definitely deserving of a chance at right. Um if you're going to say that he is a franchise left tackle, I think he's in the bottom tier. I don't think people give him a lot of credit calling him a mid tier guy, but I mean if you're going to put him in that tier, it's because of his dedication to a team. I mean, the dude played with a dislocated knee yep, and played admirably too in that game. I mean, he played great against the, the Ravens that game. I just, when I look at, so because he's demanded a trade, I'm not going to spend too much time on whether or not they should keep him or not. In my mind, I think they should ship him. And the teams that make sense to me there's not very many because of the cap space limitations right now. But I'm looking at the Colts as a as a good destination to go. I'm looking at maybe the Panthers. But there's just not very many teams right now. The Titans, maybe. They just cut uh, Luan Taylor. Yep. Or Taylor LaJuan. I'm sorry. Well, Those friends
0: um, call him LaJuan. LaJuan. LaJuan, yeah. LeJuan, yeah.
2: Um, yeah, there's just not... I mean, a lot of the teams with a lot of cap space have left tackle solved at the current moment. Um the only team I don't know much about currently is the Bears, but I think I think they've got a guy I just can't remember off the top of my head, but
0: Yeah. They do.
2: There is another option that the Bengals could explore if they can't find a trade partner. They can always still take some of the cap. Like they could take 6 million from his contract to pay that off and then trade him. So then a team doesn't have to take as big as a cap hit. That's an option too. Something that we're not really um, exploring, I don't think at the current moment. Another thing too, that we haven't really talked about is can he even pass a physical right now? I mean, he just came off of knee surgery. Is that even a thing that is possible? It's a legitimate question. Um, so it's really tough for me in my mind I I don't know what they're going to do. I know they're going to try to trade him. I think they should trade him for just pennies, the seventh rounder, sixth rounder, just to get him off your books. I don't know if there's any teams that will do that. So I think the best option for them, just so we can move on from this conversation, take $6 split split his contract up with the team, and then trade him for something a little bit more reasonable like a fourth rounder. But that's my that's my thought on the whole situation currently as it stands. Okay. Some other you want to say something? No, go ahead. The, some other things I wanted to touch on, bengals related, before we move on to a more general, broad discussion. Uh Chancy Garner Johnson, I mean, he, he got really screwed. I mean Well he no, he
0: screwed himself. Yeah. Yeah. I'm He's not offered saying. a multi year deal to stay in Philadelphia with a good winning Super Bowl winning. Uh, Super Bowl runner-up team, and he was offered, according to all reports, a multi-year contract, and he did what Jesse Bates wanted to do. Now, Bates hit the lottery. Gardner Johnson did not. He thought he was going to get paid among the elite on a long-term deal, gets a one-year contract with Detroit.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's not great for him. Just based off of that money, I mean, I'm, I'm almost pretty sure, pretty positive that he should have been a Bengal. With that sort of contract. But he decided to wait. We decided to move on with Nick Scott. I think that's a very good signing.
0: You would think Long John Silver is a good signing. I think it's
2: Playing a Playing on signing. a wooden
0: leg if he put on Bengals garb.
2: Well, the thing is... True it's or a, false? I, I wouldn't disagree. I don't <laughs> think so, Tom. But I do think that based off of body of work... The amount he got, there's options for you to go get a guy still in the draft. And there's still options for you to move him around. You didn't spend too much money getting this guy. He can start, probably will start. And he can go all over the field, just like Dax can. And that just makes him very versatile. And I think that's a great signing for the Bengals. And then lastly, Bengals related, the Max Sharping signing, I don't know how much it's for. I haven't seen those numbers just yet. But again, that's another signing that is all about retention and keeping guys. And it's, I'm not going to look at this one game, the AFC Championship game, and deem him a terrible guard or whatever they want to put him at. No. Um, I don't think that's fair because he played against Chris Jones. I mean, the dude is a freak already. And,. He's a backup. You know, That's it's not a matchup you're supposed to win, right? So in my mind, I think you have a decent backup there. I think you've got a guy that can plug and play and a guy that they like, a guy that they think that they, they got a steal out of. And they kind of did steal him from the Texans. So all in all, I think the Bengals right now, they still have a question mark at right tackle. They still have question marks at tight end. So those are the two main. And focuses.
0: they have question marks at running back.
2: Yep. I would agree with that.
0: And in my opinion, you know, they, they've they addressed, I think, the offensive line to this point where they would be fine going with, depending on how it works out with Williams, if he doesn't want to move, don't move, move on. They can play Carmen out there. They could draft somebody there if they want to do number one. Uh, But at running back, everybody agrees they're not going to keep Mixon's deal. Is Mixon open to renegotiating the deal, bringing it down, much like Jones did in Green Bay? Um, And I still feel like there are two areas that concern me. And again, you're talking about trying to win a Super Bowl, and you're not going to win a Super Bowl without Joe Burrow being healthy. We all agree with that, okay? But – Tight end, they're going to have to address clearly, and I'm sure they're already addressing it. They had Moreau in here, as you mentioned, or they Mayer or somebody like that in the draft if they don't want to draft a tackle. I still think they're very short on pass rush. God, really short. It would be
1: short. so nice to have an elite pass rush. It'd be so nice week in and week out. I feel like every week we go into this, and that's not a knock against Sam Hubbard necessarily. It's more so – I mean – We're not talking about a guy like Aaron Donald. I mean, Sam Hubbard has been an exceptional player for the Bengals. But how nice would it be week in and week out to have a guy like Aaron Donald? I know they're rare. I mean, you're talking about one of the greatest defensive players of all time. How great would it be to have one of the greatest defensive players of all time? I get it. But, man, how nice would that be if you had somebody like that on that that pass rush? Because I feel like week in and week out – we don't get to see that same type of attack that we see from some of these other teams. No
0: doubt about it. And and I thought the guy that maybe they would try to trade for would be um, Zaydarius Smith. He's now going to the Bears.
2: I mean, that's a good spot for him to go. Yeah. Go, go beat up on his old team.
0: Yep. I mean, I thought that uh, he would be a nice fit. And then the other area where, and again, I know you uh, this isn't the this isn't the uh, even in the top ten. On there once, but I, I I still think they should make a move for a backup quarterback. Because there might come a time, you hope and pray it doesn't happen, that you go through a two- or maybe three-game stretch. We saw it happen with the Steelers this year, where, you know, they had uh, Trubisky. They go to Pickett. Pickett gets knocked around, gets concussed. He has to you know, miss a couple. Of, I mean, that happens all across the league, by and large. Thank God it didn't happen to Burrow last year uh, or the year before. But sometimes, you know, you tweak a hamstring, a groin, whatever it might be. Now, all of a sudden, you got to go with fill in the blank. Brandon Allen ain't that guy.
2: Yeah, he is no Chad Henney. <laughs> I mean, Chad Henney's wins. He's won some very important games. And there are teams
0: Those trying teams. to talk him out of coming into retirement, coming out of retirement, retired at the yeah. end of the year. And already, apparently, there have been multiple teams that have approached him and said, hey, would you think about coming back?
2: <laughs> I mean, I, if I'm him, I might consider it because there's just more money and you are you got one of the – everyone says it's one of the easiest jobs in the NFL, and I'm sure it's much harder than we make it out to be. But when you don't have all the pressure starting and and you, you just come in to fill in sometimes, I I don't see why not. I mean, there's going to be a team – that pays a guy like him, Mike White, money, which was like what, two years, nine million dollars, two years, ten million dollars. That's really good for backup money. Brandon Allen, to me, I agree with you. He's no, he's none of those guys. But Bengals more than likely will either draft someone or get someone as a UDFA, or they're gonna bring back Brandon Allen just because he's been in the system on a really really cheap deal. At least I hope that's what ends up ends up happening. Not that I would ever hope for a player to not be able to get what they need to support their families, but just from a cap perspective, for them to go out and get someone, it just doesn't make sense in my opinion. I think they got to they got to just wait and deal with Brandon Allen and just hope for the best.
0: Yeah. You're hoping for the best, for sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, speaking of quarterbacks, there are two major stories here that have been for quite a while and they continue to be now. We are seven days into officially free agency. Now, the Lamar Jackson camp, remember, him and his mom are, are the agents, right? So their camp t- keeps everything very close to the vest. So... If he's been given an offer by somebody, um, you know, it takes two to tango without having leaks. But it makes you wonder, is anybody out there offering Lamar Jackson a contract? Remember, he signed that non-exclusive franchise tag. The Ravens put that on him, which meant that he could go out, shop his services for another team. If that team offers him a contract, the Ravens have a choice. Do they match that contract or do they get in return two first round draft picks? Now, this thing has a chance uh, to go all the way into July. I mean, so there's no huge rush here uh, for Lamar Jackson to do anything. Right now, it might be for other teams out there because, you know, they got to figure out who their quarterback is. But there is no doubt that the Ravens were hoping for some kind of quick resolution on this contract stalemate that's persisted, you know, the better part of a year and a half, not being able to get a long-term deal done. Um, and and the when you do something like this, and these are smart people sitting in a room, DaCosta, their general manager, is boss, legendary Ozzie Newsome, and uh, Steve Bashotti, the owner, you know, th- th- there's always contingency, contingency, contingency. Well, right now, the Ravens, Not knowing what's going to happen. They can't do anything in the free agent market. I mean, nothing. Because of their lack of cap space if Lamar Jackson comes back. I mean, Calais Campbell might be the single most important part of their locker room. Outstanding defensive lineman. And they've cut him loose. So, you know, you look at what the the Steelers have been active in free agency. The Browns have been very active. They just acquired... Dalvin uh, Tomlinson over the weekend, rock solid. They, they, they bulked up that defensive line, but needed help to go along with Garrett. Whether you like the Browns or not, they're going out there and they're spending some cash. So you start looking, and we know what the Bengals have done with Orlando Brown. I mean, the Ravens were the gold standard, or at least gold and silver right there with the Steelers for a long time in this division. Uh, competitive every year, roster building every year uh drafting well. You know, the whole 9 yards. And now all of a sudden they can't do anything. They need cornerbacks, they need a help on the defensive line with Campbell gone. They don't have any wide receivers to speak of. Um and they've lost a pro bowl uh, offensive lineman Their best offensive lineman is gone. This Lamar Jackson thing. Paul, you have all your good friends here in the DC area. Yeah. Um this thing is a mess.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I see I, – I feel like every time I turn around and I see everybody tweeting about it from, uh, from all the Baltimore people that I follow, it, it is a mess. And I, I don't – I don't really know what the resolution is. I don't know. It's almost – I mean, this is a, it's a bad analogy. But it's, it's kind of like I'm looking at all this Ed Cooley stuff going to Georgetown. And you're like, you've gone down a road that you're trying to – trying to put the toothpaste back in the tube. You know, I mean, I mean, where, what are we doing here?
2: Yeah. The Ravens are in trouble. If you ask me, um, I mean, you like, I just, I had this, uh, picture as I was talking about potential trades with Jonah Williams and it shows all the caps currently cap space for every team currently. And I, I don't know guys, there's not very many teams, at least at the top that can, handle a cap hit for Lamar Jackson currently. There's just not. I just don't know. Like, they, they might just not be able to do anything about it. There's no one that's going to trade for him. He's going to end up probably signing that that uh, transitional tag, I think is what it's called. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, the, t- the top teams that need a quarterback, and I feel like the Falcons – should be looking, but they they're probably not going to. It's it's just the Colts, and the, the Colts would be a, a interesting destination for them. But they have a top four pick. Are they really going to trade that to the Ravens and another future first? When with I don't know. And the cap space there they're at twenty million right now, um, and they have a lot of holes to fill yep. as well. So it, it's not a that's an interesting team, but I think that's might be the only team I'm looking at here. That makes sense. Um, The next closest team, the Panthers, they have the number one draft pick for a reason. Um, Titans. They want to move on from Ryan Tannehill. But they're at $15.4 million, and I have no idea what that contract looks like for Ryan Tannehill. So I don't know. The Ravens are in a really peculiar spot.
0: Well, you know, the Ravens and the Jacksonville Jaguars are the only teams in the NFL that have not signed an outside-the-organization player. Only two teams in the whole league. You know, you look at some of the moves uh, the Ravens have made. This is their free agent activity so far this offseason running back justice hill linebacker Delshawn phillips db's trayvon mullen and geno stone and their long snapper nick moore five in-house players i tell you everybody is a loser here in my opinion because well, if you're a Bengals fan. Can we clip that?
2: Can yeah, we clip that? Everyone's a loser. Everybody's a loser. <laughs> on Let's this clip deal. that. Let's they
0: clip are. That. They are. I mean, look, nobody can make me believe that there is not some kind of well, – well, we know there's friction between the Ravens and Jackson. This stuff's gone on way too long, okay? No one can make me believe there's not friction with Jackson and some players in that locker room just based on what happened last season and physically not getting on a plane and coming to Cincinnati to watch and cheer for your teammates in the opening round of a playoff game. A playoff game, quite frankly, the Ravens should have won without it. The Ravens should have won that game against the Bengals. They should have. Took a miracle play. Miracle play at the goal line. Or the Bengals lose in round one to the Ravens without Lamar Jackson. Um... So you you got that stuff going on. Uh, A lot of people have suggested that that the Jackson would sit out on a franchise. There is no way on God's earth that's going to happen. The single biggest mistake or among the biggest in the history of the National Football League was Le'Veon Bell sitting out a year with the Steelers. He was never the same player again and never the same money again. He was a very below-average player once he came back. You sit out a year. You're not only physically not going to be the same. Yeah, you wouldn't have the wear and tear. But you're also your bank account. In Jackson's case, that would be about 35 to $40 million. And you're just letting that drift into Never never land. Yeah. And now all of a sudden, you expect some team the next year to give you a contract for a gazillion dollars. Guaranteed money, what you're looking for right now? No. This is, um, this thing's a mess. Too bad for Baltimore. Now, the other one is I don't know if you saw the comments from longtime NFL executive Mike Tannenbaum about this Aaron Rodgers thing. Now, Tannenbaum is a smart guy. Uh, I thought he did a lot of great things in New York, um, but they let him go. Um, He made the comment that the New York Jets are in the driver's seat and have all the leverage on this Aaron Rodgers thing. Okay, for those of you that have not been paying attention or quite frankly, you're worn out with Aaron Rodgers talk. How would you like to be somebody covering the Packers? Dealing with this nonsense. Like Baltimore every day for two years, right? The drama of Aaron Rodgers. But Tannenbaum swears. He says, look. He says, the Packers, if this guy comes back and what it would mean to their salary cap and the salary hit and what they can do or can't do, he said it would ruin their team for the next three to four years. He said, believe me, that's what the Packers are facing and they know it. Rodgers has already gone on record as saying no hard feelings in Green Bay. But after he came out of the darkness retreat, he says, I want to play for the New York Jets. Well, Bob says, "Now look, it is true. The Jets don't have right now a quarterback, unless you're bringing Zach Wilson back, which he's coming back. But they've already let White leave. They're gonna let bring Flacco back. They're in a quarterback dilemma because their defense is good enough, and their skill position players are good enough um, that that team can contend uh, not only for a divisional championship." If you get Aaron Rodgers in there, that team can contend in the AFC right now to get to the Super Bowl. There's no doubt about it. Uh, so they need Rodgers. Rodgers needs them. Tannenbaum swears if he were the GM of the Jets, he said, I would not give up one first-round pick, forget two first-round picks. He said, the most I'm giving up's a third-round pick As you got Green Bay by the fill-in-the-blank. So... What do you think about that?
2: I think this is a classic, a very classic moment here where two guys facing each other with their pistols ready to draw. Whoever's going to make the first move, you know? I mean, they're just staring down each other. I mean, that, that's really all it is, if that's the case, right? I mean, the Jets, if they make their move first, Packers have the leverage. The Packers make their move first. The Jets have the leverage. And it's more about who who's feeling the heat the most. If you ask me who's feeling the heat the most, I got to say it might actually be the Packers. The Packers might be feeling it the most because they've been dealing with this drama surrounding their quarterback for so long. And... They have to get this right or the organization is a mess. The fan base would be a mess. I mean, can you imagine they trade away Aaron Rodgers? He plays well for the Jets. Jordan Love, he plays poor for the Jets. And whatever pick that they get from the Jets doesn't pan out? Oof. So, I don't know. I it, That's really an interesting thought that... The Jets have all the leverage. That really is interesting to me. But I think it's, to me, it's more about who's feeling the heat the most, who's going to make the first move in whatever this negotiation is to tilt in their favor. Um, And once that happens, I think, you know, we'll have – we're going to see some movement at some point here very soon, right? Maybe it happens all the way until the draft. They wait until the draft and then make a – a day trade during the draft. That'd be interesting. But I just, the longer that this goes on, the weirder it becomes to me. It's like, shouldn't he have already been traded by now? If the Packers had all the leverage, right. And Aaron Rodgers clearly doesn't want to be there anymore. I don't know. This is really weird. What, what are your thoughts on it?
1: My thoughts? Yeah. I'm shocked that nothing's happened yet, to be quite honest. I, I think that for as much as we've heard, when you get into these situations now and we talk about the state of professional sports, it seems like the players have all the leverage now in general, right? When players ask for trades most of the time, especially in the NBA, players ask for trades, they're granted them, whatever. For Aaron Rodgers to come out and, and basically go on and on and on, you know, the Jets and everything else. And then for now, we're just sitting on our hands for what? It's basically, how long has it been? A week now? Two weeks? How long has this been? A week. A week? A week?
0: For both Rodgers and Jackson.
1: How, how much longer can this go well, on? Well, this before?
0: can go on, technically. The Rodgers thing, I, I guess, could go on indefinitely. But uh, there has to be some resolution where uh, Lamar Jackson's case – has to be resolved by July. But hell, July's a long time from now.
1: Well that's what I mean. When you're holding these franchises hostage, when they gotta make decisions about the draft, they gotta make decisions in free agency, they gotta make trade decisions, whatever it is, how how much longer are these teams going to be willing to deal with it?
0: You gotta have a quarterback, man. And the Jets are not gonna win without a quarterback. And Green Bay ain't gonna win without a quarterback. Green Bay situation, I mean, good Lord. Here you you had drafted they made a terrible mistake they thought that Aaron Rodgers was starting to slip so they draft Jordan Love spend a first round pick which ticks Rodgers off all he does is go out and win back to back MVPs after that and they give him a contract this time a year ago it's only one year ago gave the Rodgers his deal and now look at this mess hey you know what everybody there you know This is where you thank God that when you get the quarterback where there's not the drama. And the Bengals have that guy. Uh, Last thing we get to, fellas, into baseball. This story just moved across the wire moments ago.
1: Oh, breaking
0: news. Jim Bowden, the longtime general manager of the Reds. And look, I know a lot of people don't like him. My dad doesn't like him. I'll tell you right now, if, if I owned a major league baseball team, I'd hire that guy as my GM right now. I think the guy knows what he's doing. But that's just me. And most people will kill me for saying that. But I, I believe it's true. I think if you ever gave him a decent team with a decent payroll, he didn't have it with the Reds and he built a juggernaut. Uh, although Marge did spend money. People forget about that. But then all of a sudden, shoot, went straight down to the tank. Uh, and, you know, the rest is history. And in Washington, you know, and then there was some stuff going on in the Dominican. What it was, yeah, I don't right. know what was going on. Right. All right. Um, but apparently... Nick Kroll, the current general manager of the Reds, had a long conversation with the Athletics' Jim Bowden. That's what Bowden's doing now, is he is writing and contributing to The Athletic, that website. Nick Kroll said he's planning on having Joey Votto finish his career with the only franchise he's played for. But then Kroll said he'd consider trading Votto to his hometown, Toronto Blue Jays, if... The Reds were out of playoff contention, and Votto made that request. Back to what you were talking about with trades. In Votto's case, he has to okay any trade, and if this is accurate, what Bowden is reporting, Votto would have to come to the Reds and ask him, ask them, to trade him to Toronto specifically. Well, look, if Nick Craw goes on record as saying that. That cut cannot, him going public with that cannot be a shock to Joey Votto. There's no way, knowing Nick Kroll, that he would just throw that out there randomly out of the blue and say, well, yeah, if he came to me and asked about Toronto, I'd think about it. Or I'd try to make it happen for the guy. That's his hometown, right? Um, I find this to be a really interesting story. Really interesting because, you know, uh, Vado, I would think, has had a chance to go play for a quote-unquote contender before now during the term of this 10-year deal, which expires at the end of this year. And we will never know until down the road after he retires or is long gone from him. But, you know, he, he – He's still playing for the Reds. So how much does he want to go play for a contender? Two ways of looking at that. He's unbelievably loyal to the only team he's ever played for. Most players will tell you that they want to play for one team their entire career. Very few do. Two of the greatest Reds of all time did in Johnny Bench and Barry Larkin. But those guys are few and far between. Vado would be a third if he stays here. I mean, is he finally now at the end where he would consider that? Does that story shock you at all, Paul? You're a big baseball guy. I, I, uh,
1: I think I'm with you in the sense that Nick Kroll would not bring this up out of nowhere. I think that that would, be, that would be too much of a shock to the system if all of a sudden Joey Votto's scrolling Twitter and he sees, uh-oh, wait, what? I can go back home? That's, that's a calculated thing that he would have said. Um, I do think you make a good point that a lot of these players do take some pride in the fact that they uh, would play with the same team for an entire for their entire career. I think there is something significant to be said for that. Um, I would be shocked, honestly. I would be shocked if Otto got traded. Maybe, I guess, not shocked as much now that we hear him say that. If that had come out of the blue, it would have been even more so, but um, I wouldn't I wouldn't have any hard feelings to Joey for the amount of work that he's put in for this franchise over the years and, and what he has done for this team. You can't be mad at the guy if he wants to go and finish out his career. No, but
0: here's so. my question, okay? And here's the question I've always asked. Again, it's a, it, it, it's it's. you can look at this two different ways, maybe more than that. And I'm just not smart enough to figure it out. A lot of people in the chat, and we have a ton in the chat today, say, hey, look, I wouldn't be mad like you just said, Paul. I'd respect it if he'd be okay. Others say he's loyal, and he only wants uh, to win a championship in Cincinnati. Well, I got news for you. That ain't happening. That's not happening. People can say whatever they want. Yeah, you, you don't play the games on paper, you play them in the field. The Reds are not winning the World Series this year, and this is Votto's last year of his contract. So... Um, You know, the flip side of him being loyal and wants to win it here and all that is how badly does he want to play for a winner? How important is winning a World Series ring to Joey Votto? And I'm not going to beat the guy down if he just says, I really like it here. This is the only franchise I've ever played for. That's what I want to do. And you know what? Winning the World Series, uh, if it's not here, then I don't really care about it. Uh, with somebody else, even if it would be my hometown team. And to be completely honest with you, Toronto is not a fit in any form or fashion for Joey Votto. They have Guerrero, who's just a total stud. And then they they signed Brandon Belt during the offseason. And to be completely honest with you, right now, Brandon Belt and Joey Votto, and people are going to go crazy when I say this, but they basically offensively for the last year have been the same guy. Now, Votto's been hurt in fairness to him. Votto's been a much better player than Belt. That's not what I'm saying. It's not even comparable. But I think this is something we talk a little bit more about tomorrow. Um, Because, you know, and some people say, is Toronto a contender? I think they're definitely a contender. Now, they, they're in a tough division. They can score. I don't know how good their pitching is, but, man, do they got some bats. All right, do we have a cherry on top?
1: Uh, this one's a special one just for you, Tom, in case you got it.
0: Really? Okay, here we go. Brought to you by You'll UDL. you love this one, Tom. We got box lunch coming up.
1: I expect a lot of all caps messages in the chat from this one.
0: Oh, my God.
1: We, we love watching the NCAA for a variety of reasons, um, but it costs employers Uh, in
0: lost productivity, right? We're just so distracted.
3: We're very distracted during (laughs) this time of year, Fred. All of the time filling out our brackets doing the research just to see the brackets get get busted (laughs) right right into the tournament and then watching the games during work hours it's costing employers Mm. and lost
1: productivity lost productivity up uh, to 17.3 billion dollars this year that's up a billion dollars from a year ago and that's because we have more Americans
3: working than they did a year ago Mm. wages are also up Um, So that's increasing lost productivity. And we're spending more time researching our brackets.
1: Oh, my goodness. That's big money when you put it that way.
0: That's big money. Tom, thoughts? Well, to begin with, it's the last time we will ever see CNN's logo on this program again. (laughs) That I can tell you. (laughs) Uh, The the genius there who was getting interviewed reeled off all those facts about the wages are up. Yeah, really? Really? You seen the inflation numbers? Over 6%? Wages ain't up 6%, big boy. Fake news. Fake news. What the hell are you laughing at, Trace Fowler? If that CNN logo ever shows up on this program again, one of two things is going to happen. Trace, you're going to be firing guys and, and heading out on the uh, employment line, or I'm on the un- unemployment <laughs> line. One or the other.
3: Finally got the line in the sand for Tom. <laughs> It's America's newsroom. <laughs> we found it. That's good stuff. We Tom. found Most a line of the sand. You guys knew when you put oh, it. Oh, we, yeah, kind of we, we knew what we were
0: doing. We're jacking around a little bit. We're jacking around a little bit. Okay. All right. Um, box Flux today, boys. How are we looking? Great, any cash yeah. this weekend, boys? Or uh, a little light in the wallet? Oh, How are we looking? I did well. Uh, Trace did a lot more well than I did, but I did well. Trace did?
4: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Tr- Tr- Trace had career days.
3: Yeah, I had a best day. Best day I've ever had. You did? I think I might stop. Did you, and that led you tournament. to get a
0: Bucky's sweatshirt?
3: Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes whatever's clean in the uh, in the closet's what I wear.
0: I love Bucky's. So So wh- wh- where did you do so well? I mean, is there a game in particular? Yeah. Did you have a parlay going? What? Um well you'd up- rather not discuss it, knowing no, that the IRS. I- thank God, uh, <laughs> those eighty-eight thousand agents they were going to hire. Now that's on the floor. D U N done. So go ahead. You don't have to worry about those guys as much.
3: Um, no, I, I woke up Saturday morning and I I looked at the board, is what some say, but I looked at all the lines and I just I just felt good about it and I and I trusted my gut and I. Went and checked some of the systems to see if like what 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 I seen initially was being reaffirmed, and Tennessee was um, it was the prototypical system play that we call around the office. So I I went all in on them money line, for a reasonable a responsible amount. If you have a gambling problem, want to call one hundred Gambler um, twenty one plus in Ohio. But I went all in on Tennessee, and then I took seven money lines for a parlay. And it hit.
0: So, You're kidding
3: me. So I just, I, I, I was up a lot of money.
4: Holy Moses. More importantly, Tom, how was your rookie debut? How was yeah. your
3: rookie debut?
4: You said you, you left the office Friday you said, and you said, you know what? I'm going to go. I'm going to, I got Betfred yeah, Sports. I didn't do it. Oh, no. I didn't do
0: it. I didn't do it. Tom, nope. they
4: called you up. They, they said they want the righty. Well, I'll pit. get
0: back on – I will, I will get in there on Thursday night.
4: Friday night, you, get, you can take the Muskies plus four.
0: Plus four. Is that the early line there? That is. That is yeah. it? Wow. Just go ahead and take their money line. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> um, so, um, what's coming up here on Box Lunch?
4: Oh, we're just going to talk about the tournament. We're definitely not going to talk about the World Baseball Classic. That's not happening. But we're going to talk a lot about the tournament. And once again, we are not talking about the World Baseball Classic because there's nothing to talk about, Tom.
0: You're the guy that loves that. Why? Are you kidding me?
4: <laughs> right. There's, not, there's, there's nothing to talk about. We're not going to talk about it.
0: I think there's a lot to talk about with the World Baseball Classic.
4: That's good.
0: I do. Well. I do. We didn't have time to get to it today. Uh, they, they have the other semifinal tonight, right? Japan, Japan and, and, and uh, Mexico. Correct? Correct, yep. Correct. And then what's the championship game? Tomorrow. It's tomorrow night. Tomorrow night. Is that in Miami? In Miami. Wait, Bay? the World
1: Baseball Classic Championship is tomorrow night? Yeah. Tomorrow night. Yeah. The USA. Army's, the other symbol,
0: the U.S. In won in the semis it. yesterday. Mexico, Japan tonight. Final tomorrow night.
1: If Japan wins,
4: I think Shohei's going to pitch tomorrow.
3: He said that he, I seen an interview. But we said we weren't going to talk about it. We're not going to talk about it. That is true. We got to save some of this
0: stuff. You're right. Okay. All right, boys, Uh, Paul, Uh, Casey, thank you very much. Tomorrow we got Brian Billick is going to join us, talk about some of this stuff in the NFL. Tracy. Uh, What's that? Tracy. Tracy Jones will be here. Uh, And so uh, look forward to that tomorrow. Thank all of you for joining us. Time now. Load it up. Box lunch. Here we go.